Well, again, good morning to all of you. And it's uh, great to be here bringing God's word. A second time, first time I was in the capacity of a visitor. Uh, this time I'm in the capacity of your transitional lead pastor. And uh, thank you for... Thank you for welcoming me and inviting me into that role, into this important uh, time in the journey of Richview Baptist. And it's been great to start to get to know uh, some of you. Uh, my mind's a bit of a scramble with all the names. Be patient with me and I will try to uh, catch up as, as time goes along. But thank you for welcoming me into your lives and sharing some of your journey here at Richview and in life, it's, it's just such a joy and privilege getting to know people and hearing of their stories and journeys. And uh, so thank you, and we trust that this is going to be a great uh, journey together over the next while. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for this day that you have brought us together in. Father, we are not here by accident, but by plan and design, and I believe that by your Spirit you want to speak to each one of us wherever we are at. Whether we know you deeply or whether we're just kind of grasping to understand who you are. But Father, we bring our lives open to you this day and pray that you might speak into our lives, that you might speak into our hearts and minds through your living word. And we commit this time to you and pray that you would work powerfully in our midst to your glory and to your honor. As you have done in the past, do it again even today. In the name of Jesus, we would ask it. Amen. The uh, life of faith and uh, of coming to know and, and follow Jesus is often described as a journey, isn't it? Uh, we are to learn to walk with God uh, day by day, step by step. And so in that, for example, one of the significant and meaningful revelations of the nature of God in the scriptures is that of a shepherd. He's described as a shepherd. Uh, we might think of, of Psalm 23, maybe one of the most uh, famous psalms in all of Scripture, where the psalmist David describes God as a shepherd. Or we might think of uh, Jesus' own self-description as a good shepherd. Uh, and that description, that imagery speaks of, of God's guidance and his leading and his, and his nurturing love as we, as we walk the journey of life and in particularly in particular, the journey of faith. But along with those powerful images and metaphors, one of the great and central narratives in the scriptures is the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt and their subsequent journey to the promised land. Uh, the story of the Israelites on this epic journey has throughout the history of the church uh, provided great lessons for us in our spiritual journeys. And while our life circumstances are certainly very different, we can still relate to their journey, take encouragement as well as many lessons from it. And, and so today I want to look at 
one brief but very significant episode in their journey which i have found in my journey to have some really important things to say to me that i need to be reminded of frequently and i hope will also for you and maybe even for the congregation as a whole uh, let me give a brief recap to set the stage of where we are in this epic journey in the particular story i want to focus on uh, the israelites had been in Egypt for almost 400 years. And over that time, uh, they had grown exponentially. Uh, they had obeyed the command to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and some estimate that by this point in the story, there was maybe something like two million Israelites living in Egypt. Uh, but in their growth, they had become a threat to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he had put the Israelites into harsh slavery and had actually tried to limit their growth by killing male babies. And in the midst of that, the cry of the Israelites went up to God. And God called Moses to be his ambassador and he revealed himself at that burning bush as Yahweh. In Hebrew, what's referred to as the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. Uh, King James Version a few times translates that specifically as Jehovah. Most people think it's maybe better today pronounced as, as Yahweh. But the interesting thing is that throughout the Old Testament in most of our English Bibles, it is simply translated as the word Lord in capital letters you'll see more of that as i go on this morning but it was revealed and i'm going to use the word yahweh yahweh the the great i am the the living god the the god without beginning and end and he reveals himself in a personal way to moses and then to the people of israel and so moses would be the one through whom pharaoh would be confronted and the israelites led out of egypt uh, and as you can imagine, this did not happen without a struggle. This led to a series of ten plagues upon Egypt, uh, revealing the glorious power of Yahweh. And you may recall that that culminated in a final plague that took the life of all firstborn males. But Israel escaped that plague by placing the blood of a lamb around the lentils of their door so that the angel of death would pass over them. And in that wonderful story, we see judgment and deliverance coming together in an important foreshadowing, a foreshadowing fulfilled in the cross. Uh, later at the end of our service, we're, we're going to celebrate communion together, which actually has its root in that incredible, important moment of Passover, uh, celebration of deliverance by the blood of the lamb we're not focusing on that story though this morning pharaoh and his leaders were so stricken by that plague that they almost chased the israelites out and so the israelites left chapter 12 and verse 33 of exodus we read these words the egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said we will all die uh, not only that, but the scriptures tell us that the Egyptians were so anxious for them to go that the Israelites were able to take whatever they asked for and they actually plundered 
the Egyptians. And so uh, packing all their belongings and the belongings of the Egyptians, they began their journey. And I'm really picking up the story in chapter 13 and verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, by day the Lord, or Yahweh, went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What an amazing, inspiring, glorious time. And in those moments, Yahweh was incredibly present with his people. A cloud of fire by day. Uh, this is, must have been an incredibly exciting time. Because finally, they were free. Finally, the, the grip of Pharaoh and the Egyptian rulers had been broken. And you can imagine the, the jubilation as they began their exodus journey. The visual sign of God's presence. Now they were safe. Now they were rescued. Now all their problems were behind them, right? Wrong. Wrong. Yeah, see, like the expression, three steps forward, two steps back. They were about to experience a very significant challenge. Have you ever had the experience of just when things are beginning to go well, just when you get your plans together, the unexpected, the unanticipated happens? No journey, it seems, is straightforward. And the journey of faith is certainly not straightforward. That's true individually. And it's true as a church. Let's look again at the text. Now picking it up in chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hacharoth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zavon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that they pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hacharoth, opposite baal Zephon. Now, 
as a quick aside, nobody knows exactly where those hard-to-pronounce places are. Uh, and I probably butchered them, but there it is. You can tell me how I should have said them later. What we do know is this. God led them to a place where the Red Sea was on one side and Pharaoh's army was approaching from the other. Maybe you're familiar with the expression, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. If you follow God long enough, you will most certainly find yourself in a situation where you wonder, how did we end up here? Why did God lead us here? What am I doing? And sometimes God might lead us right into a crisis, right into a very difficult place. I have been there in my personal life, and I expect you have too. In each congregation that I have led, there have been times of crisis. Times that brought us as a congregation to our knees. Times when we deeply wondered just what was God up to? Times of confusion. Now, while God had shared with Moses what he was up to, the Israelites who had simply gone along with the crowd didn't know what was going on. And of course, Pharaoh, as it happened over and over again in the 10 plagues, he changes his mind. Uh, you know, Pharaoh came across as strong, but he was actually weak. He was uh, rash in his decisions. He was filled with self-importance. He refused to listen to good counsel. It's hard to think of leaders like that today, isn't it? Can you imagine if Pharaoh had a Twitter account? <laughs> now, in the text, there is a, a bit of a difficult theological problem that I, I don't want to spend much time on, but I don't want to ignore either. And, and it's the statement in the text I just read regarding God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart while at the same time witnessing Pharaoh's rebellion. It's this theological tension of God's sovereignty and free will of human responsibility. It, it, it's a topic that has, of course, taken countless, countless pages and theological texts and innumerable hours of debate. And I know that we'd all like to have nice and easy answers resolve this tension between God's sovereign activity and free will. But the fact is, from my perspective, Scripture doesn't seek to resolve the tension. It just kind of lets it stand there side by side. Did Pharaoh have a choice and was therefore morally responsible? Yes. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. It's what the scripture proclaims. For God is ultimately in control. God works in mysterious ways, sometimes unfathomable ways, his wonders to perform. 
And faith, the journey of faith, will mean at times accepting things that we can't fully comprehend or understand. And we have to hold those things together that at times seem in conflict, in tension, but both are true. But back to the story. Here we are in the story. God has seemingly led the Israelites into a trap. At the one side, the Red Sea, the other uh, side, approaching Pharaoh's army. A no-win situation. A place of between what is described as a rock and a hard place. Uh, Psalm 23 describes the shepherd as leading us beside still waters. But it's not always the case. Sometimes God may lead us to very unusual and difficult places. Places we would rather not be. And that's always a test of our faith. It reveals the substance of our faith. Our confidence in the God that we worship. Let's see how the Israelites responded. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Definitely not a shining moment in the faith journey of the Israelites. We shouldn't miss the sarcasm uh, of uh, their expressions. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Historians tell us that Egypt was known for its graves. And of course, the pyramids are the most famous graves in the whole world. That they so quickly turned on Moses and said they would rather serve the Egyptians. It's stunning. But the point is this fear is powerful, isn't it? Fear is powerful. Uh, Yes, they prayed, but it was not prayers of faith and confidence. And we see how ill-formed, immature their faith was. How about you? When trouble comes, when times of challenge come, do you hit the panic button? Do you... Look for someone to blame, the scapegoat. Do you become angry, sarcastic, consumed with fear? Listen to Moses' words, and here we witness Moses' incredible leadership in a moment of crisis. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance Yahweh will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Yahweh will fight for you. You need only to be still. Over and over again in the scriptures, we hear these words, do not be afraid. Fear is such a natural human emotion, but following God and living out the life of faith will require us to confront our fears, to limit our fears, to control our fears. To quiet our fears. It's not easy for most people. It's not easy for me. 
But managing our fear is certainly what is required if we're going to live out a life of faith following God. Moses encourages them to stand firm. They're not to run. They're not to panic. They're to hold their ground. And Moses says they will see Yahweh's deliverance. And then those wonderful words of verse 14, Yahweh will fight for you. You need only to be still. A few hundred years later, when David battled Goliath, he did so proclaiming the battle is the Lord's. Psalm 24, 8 says that Yahweh is mighty in battle. The Israelites had witnessed the plagues. Now they were again going to witness God's power to deliver. But they were to be still. They were to be still. Stillness is a place of confident trust. A worship song that I learned not too long ago has these beautiful lyrics. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storms. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. Find rest, my soul, in Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. The journey of faith requires that we learn to be still, to trust in the faithfulness of God. But we are not to misunderstand stillness as doing nothing. Look at the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Tell the Israelites to move on. Be still, move on. And I love that. For me, it captures this beautiful tension of the life of faith. A confident trust in the goodness, provision, sovereignty, power of the living God. Coupled with a willingness to take the next step. To move on, to take the risk, to act in faith live boldly, courageously. Just like that time with Peter in the boat and Jesus comes and invites him to step out of the boat that he might have the experience of walking on water. Lyrics from another contemporary worship song that is sung today has these wonderful but challenging lyrics. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fall. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fall and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. Spirit. 
Lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. That's bold faith. And that is the life that Jesus invites us to. Now, so I don't leave you in suspense, although this story is probably familiar to you, let me simply read this narrative to the end of the chapter and then wrap up. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, and not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left, and that day Yahweh saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of Yahweh displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. An amazing, amazing story of God's dramatic rescue where God demonstrates his mighty power for there is nothing too difficult for him when it is his will to do it. And I believe that like the Passover rescue, the crossing of the Red Sea, actually points us to the cross. For you see, when we were powerless over our sin, God provided the way. And the most dramatic deliverance of all is the one where the powers of darkness and evil are defeated by the one who stood in harm's way on our behalf so that we might experience his amazing and in that moment on the cross, Jesus rolled back the seas of eternal judgment, as well as there are enemies' accusation of guilt, so that we could pass from death to life. Jesus fought the fight for us. He is our mighty Savior. And there is nothing any of us can do but be still, to trust him, to receive him, his provision of amazing grace, 
And if you've never received his provision of amazing grace through the cross, don't wait. All you need to do is be still. And yet, the life of faith that Christ invites us to is not one of passivity. For faith in a living Savior moves and acts. We listen for God's voice and obey. We get on with it. We follow and seek to do his will. Be still. Move on. What might those words mean for you this day? Father, I thank you for the scriptures, for this holy record of your provision, of your deliverance, of your grace. And Father, we know that all things point to the cross, to Jesus, the one who invites us also to be still before the cross, to know its power, to know its deliverance, to know this great love. And yet this cross also invites us to follow, to move on in our journey. So, Father, as we come to the table and as Dave comes and leads us in this wonderful celebration and time of reflection, may we continue to reflect on where we need to be still, let go, rest in your power and plan, and where we need to take steps to move on.